So today we're going to start the first of a two-part uh, series on the angel of the Lord. And uh, there's some interesting uh, things that come on with this character as you look at him through Scripture. So uh, I think, there we go. So we're finishing or going through our class on bloodlines and battles. And we're down here to angel of the Lord. We'll do this one this week and then we'll pick up on it again next week. And so today, what we're going to do, and you might be surprised, but we're basically going to camp in the book of Genesis to see who this angel of the Lord is, because the foundation is all actually in that book. Do you realize that every biblical doctrine can be traced back to a literal history in Genesis chapters 1 through 11? Everything comes from there. The angel of the Lord actually comes in the book of Genesis as well. Uh, and so it's, it's an amazing thing that we'll, we'll go through. We're going to perform a logic experiment. I'm just going to give you a little watered-down version of it, but this is super simple. Just follow through with this. A equals B, B equals C, C equals D. So if we're just thinking logical thinking, the question might arise, what then is D? Well, D would be A, but it could also be B, it could also be C. It would be any of those, and you'll be amazed how people stumble over this simple of logic. And we'll see this as we go through the angel of the Lord. Um, So we'll come back to that. So here's our objectives as you look at your notes, the four main categories. Number one, the first mention of this character, this being, the angel of the Lord in Genesis. Then we're going to look at Jacob. We're not going to do a detailed study of the life of Jacob, what we're going to do is see how the angel of the Lord interacts in the life of Jacob. That's what we're going to look at as Jacob is always in fear. He's always fleeing something. So he flees up to the north and then he's going to flee Laban and go back to the south. And then we'll move away from Genesis just a little bit at the end and look at bloodlines and see how this all ties together. So we're going to start up here with the first mention of this being, this character, the angel of the Lord. We're going to be at the time of Abraham. So if you're looking at a big outline, uh, that's about 400 years after the flood. About year 2000 of the world, roughly, would be the time of Abraham. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, and he hasn't changed his name yet from Abram to Abraham, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I'll obtain children through her. Pretty graphic. What does that mean? That means go into. That means have sexual intercourse. And you'll see that all through the Old Testament. Uh, He came into her uh, is what it means. Very graphic. Abram listened to the voice of his wife, Sarah. Now, God did not tell him to listen to his voice, to her voice here. Just like Adam. And this leads to problems. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power to do what is good in your sight. This is after he slept with her. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. You can see Abram and Sarah trying to figure out, we're too old. How do we have this promised child? Well, we're getting too old to do it. I know. I'm old. I'm postmenopausal. Go into the young lady there. I own her. That'll be my property. But that was a solution by man. That was not waiting for God to fulfill the promise. And you can see problems arise from that. Now, the angel Lord, that's the first mention right there in 16.7. The angel Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness because she was running away from Sarah, her, her mistress, her master. Angel Lord said, and you notice this guy, he's in there four times. Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from? 
Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel Lord said to her, I will, one of these great statements that go all throughout scripture, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that there will be too many to count. The angel Lord said to her, further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. The Lord sees what's going on. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God who sees. I'm trying to go hide in the wilderness and run away, but you see me where I am. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him, the angel of the Lord? You'll see multiple times people have fear with angels, and when they see the angel of the Lord, they wonder we should really be dead because this was an amazing experience. The Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord who spoke to her, is God. Now there can be Elohim, there can be shortened versions as well, especially if it's a descriptor like El Shaddai or El who sees, the God who sees. But you notice it's the angel of the Lord is described as Yahweh. Now we can't get too specific yet because this is Hagar saying this. This doesn't necessarily mean that that's the author of scripture saying that. We're going to fast forward later now to Genesis 21. That was 16. So he's already had Isaac now and circumcised him and they've had, now they're moving on, but there's conflict with the two boys because they tried to generate an offspring by human ingenuity instead of waiting for the seed of the promise. So the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, don't be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. God never told him to do that before and he created a problem. Now God tells him, listen to your wife. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. So Isaac is the seed of promise. Ishmael is not. And the son of the maid, Ishmael, I will make a nation out of him also because he's your descendant. It'll have nothing to do with the seed of promise, but they'll still make a great nation. So Abram rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water, gave them to Hagar, put him on her shoulder and gave her the boy and sent her away. She departed. And wandered about the wilderness of Beersheba. Second time now she goes and wanders around the wilderness. When in the water, this, or when the water of, in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. She went and sat down opposite him, about a bow shot away, and said, Don't let me see the boy die. We're out of water, out of food, out in the desert. She sat opposite him, lifted her voice, and wept. God heard the lad crying. Here he is again, the angel of God. The angel Lord, angel God, they're used interchangeably. Called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? You ever kind of, you know, to be honest, I felt like that this morning. I was complaining about my wife. I didn't sleep well at all. And I got my sciatic nerve going yesterday. It hurts when I'm moving and I'm belly aching and complaining. What's the matter with you? Why do we love to say how hard our life is? And the angel of the Lord rebukes that thinking. So we got to always think of that. He says, what's the matter with you, Hagar? You're just going to die in the desert. What's your problem? Do not fear. God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him by the hand, for I will make of him a great nation. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin and gave the lad a drink. So let's just summarize Genesis 16 and 21. Hagar, two different times, fleeing from Sarah. Who's the keynote speaker? The angel of the Lord, four times he said that in the first interaction. Who is he? Hagar says he's Yahweh. He is a God who sees, El who sees. El is a shortened version of Elohim. What does he do? 
He comforts her. He meets her needs, food, water. He gives her instructions, and he gives a promise. So there's several things this character does with Hagar. Number one, the angel of the Lord is a God who sees, comforts, meets the needs of, instructs, and blesses. He sees and instructs the angel of the Lord. So that's the first mention of this being. And remember, we're going to camp in Genesis for most of the day here. Now we're going to look at the life of Jacob. So a little bit with Abraham dealing with Hagar. Now as Jacob is going to flee to the north. So we're down here uh, with Jacob. And realize again, Shem would have lived to see Abraham, and he would miss Jacob by just a few years. So Esau bore a grudge. We're not telling the whole story of Jacob, but you know how they have their issues and they're fighting So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. So again, this is not all chronological. It's giving you the big points. It's about time to end the mourning for the father. After that, I'm going to kill that sucker, Jacob, my brother. So number two, Esau was planning to kill his brother, Jacob, quite a bit like Cain. So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Cain. Esau had done that with two of them. Arise, go up to Padamaram, to the house of Bethuel, to our family, your mother's father, and take there a wife for yourself from the daughters of Laban. So we're going to look. He's down in here. He's going to start at Beersheba, and he's going to set out. He's in fear with his brother Esau. So he's going to be fleeing, and he's going to come up here to Bethel. He's going to have interactions with the angel of the Lord. Then he's going to go clear up to Padamaram, up to the town of Haran. That's where Laban lives. But then he's going to get chased out of there, fleeing in fear from Laban after being there a couple decades, picking up a couple of wives and a bunch of property. Then Laban is going to chase him and catch him down here, uh, close to Bethel. And that's going to be Peniel, where he has interactions with God. But then his brother is going to come up. Esau is going to come. Remember, that's down here with Edom. He's going to come up. And all this time, Jacob is running around and afraid. Then he's going to go over to Shechem. And then he's going to come back to Bethel. So he makes this big loop. As he's leaving now, running away from Esau, he goes to Bethel. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. This is his father giving a blessing. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham. So what went to Abraham, then to Isaac, is now going to Jacob. And to you and your descendants with you that you may possess the land of your sojournings where God gave to Abraham. God Almighty, that's El Shaddai. So this is the big guy giving this blessing that's going through uh, Isaac now to Jacob. And he's going to now is where he has the stairway to heaven. And there's an angel up on top of it or something up on top. And I I put this picture here because it's never described as having wings, this thing up there. So always be careful when you see artwork because usually it's not quite accurate. So Jacob departed from Beersheba. He goes up north towards Haran, but he doesn't get up that far yet. He comes to a certain place and spent the night because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of that place and put it under his head. I mean, that's a good way to get kink neck, sleeping on a stone. He laid down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. The angels of God. 
They're not necessarily called cherubs or seraphs, but they're angels. Notice that's plural. That's not the angel of the Lord. And behold, the Lord stood above it. So the Lord stands above it. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. You and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So if we unpack this a little bit, there's two promises. Number one is the land. You are going to get this promised land. Remember God promised that to Abraham. Now it goes to you, Jacob. It's going to be the land. And what does it mean to be blessed? It's not just you, but it's who? All the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the seed of the woman. This is the Messiah. It's going to come from your bloodline, your physical descendants. So what was promised at Genesis 3.15, then was promised to Abraham, and now it's given to Jacob. Through your line, the Messiah will come. Number three, God extends the promise of Abraham to Jacob regarding two things. Number one, the land. Number two, the bloodline. You could have put in parentheses the Messiah, the bloodline to the Messiah. Remember, everything is about that guy, the Messiah. Who's doing the talking? Who? The Lord. Yahweh is doing the talking. There's two times that Jacob has interactions with a cluster of angels. They never speak to him. This is Yahweh. This is not an angel speaking. So Yahweh stands above. So where the ladder? The ladder is going from heaven to earth, and angels are busy going up and down and up and down. They're moving around. And then there's a dude at the top, the gateway to God, just like Jesus in the New Testament says he is the door. I am. That gives you a hint. Angels will sometimes say, I am. So will a human being. But every time when they do that, it now funnels down very narrowly into something that encompasses, defines, and limits them. When the Almighty speaks, it's never limited. I am what? I am the Lord. There you see it again. And I am Yahweh Elohim. That's who's at the top of this. The angels have no need to speak because he is speaking. What do they have to add? And there he says again, I am the Elohim of Abraham and Isaac. I am the God, Elohim. So what does he self-claim to be? He self-proclaims himself. The text calls him Yahweh. And he says, I am, and I am Yahweh Elohim, and I am Elohim. Number four, the Lord of Bethel proclaimed, I am Yahweh Elohim. I am Yahweh Elohim. So we move on. He says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, speaking to Jacob. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So I will statements again from Yahweh Elohim, speaking to Jacob. That reminds me of the New Testament. When Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always. That's like a mere statement, isn't it? We go back to Genesis. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Jacob was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. And who is standing on top of that gate, the ladder? Surely the Lord, Yahweh, is here, and this is the house of God, Elohim. 
So he names it that. Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel, Beth-el. Beth means house of, El God, the house of God, Bethel. However, previously the place had been called Luz, Light. Interesting name of the place, the light. That's where God chose to send the light down to the world and communicate with Jacob. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat, garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord Yahweh will be my God, my Elohim. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth, a tithe to you. So this is in Bethel. You want to keep that place in your mind, the house of God, Bethel. Used to be called loose or light. Jacob makes a vow here to be submitted to Yahweh Elohim. Number five, Jacob made a vow to the Lord God at Bethel. Jacob made a vow at Bethel. And we'll see his interactions begin here at Bethel. And they're going to loop back and come back to this place. But let's recap Genesis 28. Jacob is fleeing in fear away from Esau, his brother, who's going to kill him. Who is the keynote speaker? It is the Lord. And the text calls him Yahweh, the Lord. This is the Lord speaking. And it's not just Yahweh. This is Yahweh Elohim. You can't mistake who this is doing the speaking. Where does this take place? Bethel. Uh, so this takes place at Bethel. Um, <clears throat> what are the main issues? There is a promise from Yahweh Elohim. What is the promise? The land and the bloodline. So Elohim is now moving this. It was from Abraham. Now it's going to Jacob. The land and the bloodline. And he makes this further promise. I will not leave you till we have accomplished all this. None of this is dependent on anything Jacob does. This is unilateral coming from Yahweh Elohim. And in response, Jacob makes a vow, but that's really irrelevant because Yahweh has already spoken what he's going to do. This is at Bethel. Notice the God of Bethel is who? Yahweh Elohim. Very important. So now Jacob is moving north. He's going to be up there with Laban for a while, picks up his wives. Now he's going to be coming back south. So we're intentionally not spending a ton of time on Jacob because we're interested in the angel of the Lord. So he's up there in Haran, and that's where he picked up a bunch of wives. He's got a bunch of stuff. Been there two decades. Now he comes down south, and Laban is going to chase after him in Gilead, right here above Peniel, and that's where Laban catches him. So now he's going to move, and from there he goes to Peniel, and he has to deal with his brother Esau coming up from the south. So he's kind of getting pinched by two guys that want to kill him. So where he's up at the top, coming down south. So Jacob now heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all the wealth that was our father's. From what belonged to our father, he has made this wealth. This sucker has plundered us and become wealthy. Jacob saw the attitude of Laban, and behold, it was not friendly towards him as formerly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return, go back south to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. Another I will statement. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I said, here I am. He, the angel of God, said, lift up your eyes and see all the male goats which are mating, are striped, speckled, mottled, for I have seen all that Laban has done. You know when you read that and you just kind of go through and you think, what kind of magic sauce did Jacob have with those reeds? Nothing. 
He was told by Yahweh what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of the odd-colored recessive traits are going to take over the flock. So that's how he gets his wealth. It wasn't magic from the magic beans. This is from the word of Yahweh. I am the God of Bethel. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land of Haran, go and return to the land of your birth. I am the big guy is speaking. I am what? I am the God of Bethel. I am the El of Bethel, the house of God. Who is this that's doing the speaking? The angel of God. Okay. So people miss all this stuff all the time. We shout other things. But he is Elohim. He is Yahweh. But he is what? The angel of God. Well, who is this God of Bethel? He self-proclaimed that he is Yahweh Elohim. He is all of those. The angel of God is Yahweh Elohim. That's who he is, the angel of God. Number six, the angel of God claimed, I am the God of Bethel. To be the God of Bethel, that's a claim to be Yahweh Elohim. You notice Jesus claimed to be God in the New Testament and the religious guys hated that? It's all about the Alpha and the Omega. This is a theophany. You could call it a Christophany, the second person of the Trinity, the only one that ever takes on human form between the three. But it's the pre-incarnate Jesus showing up here. Remember, angel is a malik. That means a messenger. That is not a cherub. It is not a seraph. What is a malik? It could be a human. It could be an angel. It could be a carrier pigeon. It is sending the message. It's not who you are as a being. That would be a cherub, a seraph, a man. It is somebody who's bringing a message. Jesus could be a messenger in the New Testament as well. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued Jacob a distance of seven days. It took him a week to catch him because Jacob had a three-day head start. He overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream in the night and said to him, be careful. When Elohim shows up and speaks to you, that generates fear and attention to people all the time. Be careful, Laban. I know what you're thinking. Do not speak to Jacob, good or bad. You notice my favorite is when Elohim shows up to one of the guys with Abraham, middle of the night, you are a dead man. Imagine feeling this presence telling you something important. And every time the guy gets up early in the morning to solve the problem, he doesn't dally, doesn't delay. This is Elohim that came to uh, Laban. Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done, you idiot, you moron? You're deceiving everybody all over the place. You deceived me by carrying away my daughters like captive of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and deceive me and not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and songs, with timbrel and lyre? Now he's probably lying here too because he wouldn't have let Jacob go because it was slave labor. Do not allow me, you didn't allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. What have you done? You have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But, but, and I love these pauses, but, but the God, Elohim of your father, spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to speak either good or bad to Jacob. I was going to kill you, but... Elohim intervened. You have done foolishly, 
but I'm powerless to do anything about it because of that guy, Elohim. So let's recap Genesis 31. Jacob is fleeing Laban. Now he's returning back to Canaan. Who is the keynote speaker? The angel of the Lord. So we're being specific with our names here, the angel of God. And that equals I am. That's what he says. And he is the God of Bethel. That's what he proclaims himself to be. What is the main issue? He protects Jacob sovereignly from Laban. That is the God of Bethel that does that. Who is the God of Bethel? He has already proclaimed himself to be Yahweh Elohim. And now it's the angel of God. He is Yahweh Elohim. Why would it surprise us that everything is about the Alpha and the Omega? Think about this for a minute. If you are the Alpha and the Omega... Let's look to number seven in your notes. True or false, it is sound reasoning to assume that the Alpha and the Omega would lie dormant for 4,000 years. Yeah, it's of course false. That's a stupid idea. But look at what people think. He says, it's all about me. Everything is about the Alpha and the Omega. Well, why does he not do anything for two-thirds of history? He interacts. Does he interact anything less than sovereignly? And intimately, that is his manifestation as the angel of the Lord. He weaves through the Old Testament. He doesn't lie dormant till the new. So now we're going to recap Jacob. He's up here in Haran, and he's going down to Peniel. That's where it means face-to-face with God. So he's already met up and dealt with Laban now. He didn't do a darn thing. Elohim dealt with that and made sure Laban is not going to touch him. And now uh, he goes to Peniel. After this, he's going to wrestle with God. So as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Here's another time. This is not the angel of the Lord. This is the second time a plural group of angels are there with him. And they said, or, and Jacob said, when he saw the angels, this is God's camp. There are angels of God's all over. This is an interesting place. What did the angels say? Nothing. There's a couple times here where the angels are saying nothing, Right? So he named that place Manaheim, two camps, camp for me, camp for the angels, camp of God. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau, because remember Esau was going to kill him. He's like, well, I've finally got rid of Laban. Thank you, Elohim. But we've got Esau. That's going to be a problem because I shafted him twice. The messengers returned to Jacob and said, we came to your brother Esau. Hey, we found him. Furthermore, he's coming to meet you. And, oh, great. And 400 men are with him. That's a death sentence for Jacob. Jacob is what? Greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people with him, the flocks, the herds, the camels, and the two companies that if Esau comes to one and attacks it, the other can get away. So he's going through all this stuff to solve his problem, fear of his brother. Number eight, Jacob spent much of his life fleeing in fear. Fleeing in fear. How do you like that life? Trying to solve problems on your own, fleeing in fear. It's a good thing that was a unilateral agreement from God. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return. You're the one that said, return, Yahweh. It was you. I am unworthy. A key statement from Jacob. I am unworthy. I started with a staff and now I've got all these great companies and I've got wealth, but I am unworthy of it. Deliver me, I pray for my brother, for I fear him. 
he's going to come and attack. He throws the women and children out there. He reminds God, I am not worthy, but you said to go down. And he's reminding God of the unilateral agreement. You said, I will surely prosper you and you make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. If I get killed here by Esau, you promised me this and you told me to come south. He's reminding God, who doesn't need to be reminded, of God's promise. Jacob was left alone, so he'd done all this work to separate everybody and have all these presents going to occupy Esau. And he, of course, is in the back. He's not in the front being the leader. He's in the back. Left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. What kind of a being was that? What kind of a being is that? A man. That's a man. So you're right, buddy. It is kind of like an angel because we're going to see this kid's ahead of the curve. It says a man, but there's several things here as we understand who this being is. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he, the angel type dude, touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he wrestled. You ever watch a UFC fight, you'll occasionally see a guy dislocate a rib when he goes to do a judo hip throw, and they stop a dislocated rib. Imagine a dislocated hip in the middle of a UFC fight. You're in trouble. A man wrestled with him. So we need to always understand what God is revealing in the Word. You notice it never has wings? You notice it's not a cherub. Notice it is not a seraph. It is a man. And they're wrestling. This word in the Hebrew for wrestled is you'd only hear in the whole Old Testament. So it's some kind of a wrestling match, but it's fairly unique. Not with wings. This is a man. He didn't say, well, some cherub came and we had an interaction. That's not what Jacob said. He said, let me go for dawn is breaking, this guy he's wrestling with. But, no, I'm not going to let you go. But, that's not going to happen. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. It's already cost me a hip. But I am going to cling to you until I get more blessing because you are something different and unique. I want blessing. So he said to him, what is your name? Jacob said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You have striven with Elohim. Striven. Interesting word in the Hebrew. Sarah. It's used only here and one other place. So we're going to just barely dip into one other book before we camp in Genesis. But that's an interesting word, and we're going to see how Hosea quotes this. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. Several times people want to know the name of the angel of the Lord when they have an interaction with him. But this being says, no, I will not give you my name. He said, why do you ask my name, why? And he doesn't even give him, give him a chance to say why. He just blessed him right there. But you will not know my name. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face. Peniel means face to face. Yet my life has somehow been miraculously preserved. I have seen Elohim. I wrestled with Elohim. I had an interaction with Elohim, but I didn't die. So he's not seeing the full God. No one has seen the full God and lived in his full glory. He was wrestling with a man, but he said, please tell me your name. Next week, we're going to see a little bit more of this name of the angel of the Lord, and it is an amazing thing that's far more than you would see here. What is the name of the dude in human form that I was wrestling with? But no, I will not give you that name. I will bless you. 
Do angels ever bless anybody in Scripture? No, but the angel of the Lord does. Yahweh does. And a greater one will bless a lesser one, but angels don't give blessings. So now we're going to go to Hosea, where we see this word for striven or contend. The Lord also has a dispute with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity as a man, he contended with God. There it is, that word again. He is quoting this thing from Genesis, the Sarah, this striven or contended with God. Only two places that word is used. So this is a direct reference exactly to what happened in Genesis. You contended with Elohim. Yes, he wrestled with the angel. And prevailed and wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. No sort of capitalize. That is God speaking with mankind. So who is this angel? He wrestled with. So he's wrestling with this angel. They call it an angel in Hosea. Even the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his name. The Lord, the God of hosts, this is Yahweh Elohim. That is the being that you are wrestling with. Not an angel, not a member of the host, but the Yahweh Elohim, the creator of the hosts. He is not an angel. You read Hebrews chapter 1, it spends the whole chapter delineating how Jesus is not an angel. He is a totally different, uncreated entity that self-exists. Angels were all created And in case you were confused, Yahweh is his name. That is where capital H, he, Yahweh, Elohim, spoke to us, to mankind, through Jacob at Bethel. He spoke with us. So you might say, what is his name? Well, there's his name right there. It is Yahweh, Elohim, Yahweh. How could you be confused who this being is? Oh, wow, he's an angel. Realize that is not a seraph, that is not a cherub, that is a messenger. It could, it doesn't, define the type of being. That's just somebody bringing a message, and he is communicating with Jacob in the wrestling match. He is Yahweh Elohim. Next week, we will see it actually goes beyond that to a deeper, more interesting level. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him. That's the quote from Genesis. In the form of a man, what he's saying is, what is the name? I know Yahweh. I've seen him at the top of the chairs. I know Elohim. He's communicated with me. What is he in the form of a man? So let's recap Genesis 32. Jacob fears Esau. He's left, and now he has this wrestling match. Who is the keynote speaker in 32? It is a man in verse 24. But he's also Elohim from verse 30. Hosea adds, by quoting Striven, the direct connection to that, he is an angel. He is also Yahweh Elohim. And he is also not just simply an angel of the host, but he is the Yahweh Elohim over the angels, the creator of them. What is the main issue? The God of Bethel personally protecting Jacob again with Esau. Jacob is so fearful, he's trying to remind God of his promise, and God doesn't need the reminder. Number nine, Jacob wrestled with a being described as a man, an angel, Yahweh, and Elohim. He wrestled with a man, an angel, Yahweh, and Elohim. You could also add in there the Yahweh Elohim of the angels. So the truth has to be internally consistent. All scripture is internally consistent. You can see how tight this actually is. It's all about the Alpha and the Omega 
and use Scripture to interpret Scripture, not a rabbinical writing or something you saw on the Internet. So we go on. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. So he's down here now in Peniel, face to face. Esau is going to come up. He's had this wrestling match before. And Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And of course, he sends Leah out front, and then Rachel, and then he's in the back. So he's doing every padding he can. He says, well, you're my worst wife. You go first. So Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. What? I thought you were coming to kill me. Elohim can work in the heart of anybody, and he transformed Esau. And they became friends. And Jacob deceives him again. Esau says, hey, come down here to Edom. But no, he's going to go uh, from Peniel. He's going to go over to Shechem. And Shechem is an interesting place. So when Jacob came, notice safely, Elohim has guided him the whole way. Just like Mike's preaching on Ruth, you can see the hand of Yahweh, Elohim, intimately involved with everything. So as Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padamaram, so he's come from up here, now he's in Padam, from Padamaram, now he's camped before the city of Shechem. He bought the piece of land there for a hundred pieces of money. He erected an altar and called it El Eloi of Israel, Elohim, Elohim, the God, the God of Israel. When Shechem, that's the uh, named after him, but it's a, the kid. When Shechem, a full-grown man, son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, talking about Dinah, when he saw her, he took her and raped her. He was deeply attracted to her, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. That's yeah, a kind of interesting first date. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get me this young with the one that I just raped. I do want to marry her. Go get her for me. Kind of reminiscent of Samson. Go get me these women. Yeah. Okay. We got a plan for that. Anyone know what they did? Yeah, why don't you guys go snip it, right? Uh, you guys get circumcised like us. Then if all your men, not just Shechem, if all your men get circumcised, then we'll do it. And they, the men of Shechem will go, sure, we'll do that. A little bit of pain, but we're going to get all their wealth because we're going to take it. So that's a fair deal. Now, it came about on the third day. So they had known adult circumcision. You could become a Jew even if you weren't born one. You go through the rite of circumcision. They know what this does to an adult male. And they know the third day is a bad day. So when they're in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, each took his sword and they killed every male in Shechem. When you think that one through, I've done circumcisions. We do it probably a little different today. But that glands is red and tender, and it'll stick on everything. You ever had a little boy get circumcised? It'll stick right on the diaper. you got to put all the sauce on there. You, how do you fight when you're stuck to your undergarments? You can't. They killed him. Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me. Jacob is always fearful for his life. You've made me odious among the inhabitants of the land. We deceived these guys, the Canaanites and Perizzites. We didn't kill everybody. We just killed this little town of Shechem. My men being few in number, these will gather against us, attack us, and I will be destroyed. He's got fear again. You guys, they said, well, should we treat her like a harlot? He doesn't really answer that. He doesn't know what to do, but he's got fear. But... But that was Shechem. So we're going to blow it up so you can see he's going to now move down back to Bethel. He came up to Bethel, looped around everywhere. Now he's coming back to Bethel. 
As they journeyed, there was great terror on the cities which were around them. They did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Why? The hand of Yahweh, Elohim, is intervening, and they come back to Bethel. Key spot. So you might say, why is it they want to go to Bethel? Well, that's where it started. That's where it comes back. And the reason is, God said to Jacob, arise and go to Bethel and live there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you and you fled your brother Esau the first time when you first went up to Bethel. We're going to round the wagons and come back to this God who appeared to you. So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go to Bethel. I will make an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress when I first fled Esau at the beginning. But he has been with me wherever I have gone. He's never left me. Number 10, when Jesus promises to never leave us, he keeps his promise. And notice in life we might doubt that in real time. But he doesn't ever leave. He built an altar and called it El Bethel, God, house of God, because there God revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Elohim revealed himself to him first at Bethel, and we loop around. So now you might wonder, how do you get a bloodline out of Genesis for the angel of the Lord? And it's very amazing when you actually see it. We go to the end of the book. So remember, at the beginning of the book, everything's perfect. Then you have chapter 3, you have the fall. What happens after the fall? You have the promise of the seed of the woman. There's going to be a Messiah. That's going to go to Abraham. Now it goes to Jacob. You, uh, and now we close the book, and we actually bring that full circle. Everything starts in Genesis, and it gets developed as the course of time. But this is amazing. Now this is... Jacob as an old man. It came about after these things that Joseph, the son of Jacob, was told, Behold, your old man, the father Jacob, is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and went to Jacob. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength for one last encounter and sat up in bed. Jacob said to his son Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will... Make you a fruitful and numerous. I will make you a company of peoples and will give you this land to your descendants as an everlasting possession. Here's the promise. God Almighty appeared to me. Who is that? That's El Shaddai. That guy appeared to me at Bethel, at Luz, and blessed me. That is Bethel. He blessed Joseph, Jacob did, and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd, All my life to this day, the angel, not a cherub, not a seraph, but a messenger, the malach, the angel who has redeemed me from evil, bless these lads. And may my name live in them. We're not going to worry about the bottom part. God. Who is that? Elohim. God. The God Elohim of Abraham and Isaac. The God who is my shepherd. Who is the shepherd? Oh, that's Jesus. We know later. Didn't fully know it here. He's an angel. Not a cherub, not a seraph, but he appears as an angel. But here's a key word. Mike preached on this today. Redeemed. What does that mean? That is a gael. That is a blood relative, kinsman, redeemer. And so what's a participle? A participle is, 
when you make a word, this is a verb to redeem, gael. A goel is a participle who enacts it. So the angel is the goel who performs redemption. So you'll see goel in the Hebrew throughout the Old Testament. That's the guy performing gael, the verb of redemption. You must be a blood relative. Wait, that requires a bloodline for this angel. Starting in Genesis. Number 11. In order to redeem, the angel of the Lord, or God, must belong to the bloodline of Adam. The angel must belong to the bloodline of Adam. So this isn't fully developed here at the time of Jacob, but Boaz is not the first kinsman redeemer. It's all about the Alpha and the Omega. And Mike had a whole thing on that today of blood relative. If Boaz has a closer blood relative, he can't do it. That guy goes first. But he'll tell more of that story of why it ends up with Boaz. Look now to Christ. See my hands and my feet as I myself touch me and see a spirit. Yahweh or Elohim as a spirit form does not have flesh and blood. Neither would an angel. As you see I do as a manifestation as the man. Blood. Where does your blood come from? Bones. Bones make blood. So now let's go back to Genesis 48. Jacob is blessing Joseph and his sons. Who is the main character? It is El Shaddai. El Shaddai spoke to me. He is also the Elohim of Abraham and Isaac. He is the shepherd. He is the angel. Not a cherub or a seraph, but the messenger. What did this angel do? He blessed and redeemed. Powerful word. He redeemed me, the guy who wrestled with him, the guy who contended with him, the guy who is not worthy to be redeemed, yet I made a vow to follow him anyway, even though my vow was irrelevant. He is the Goel. He performs the act of Gael. He is a blood relative that redeems me. That requires what shows up later. So we're going to do a little logic. We started with this. A equals B equals C equals D equals E equals F equals G equals H. So if we're just doing logic, you might say, okay, what is H? We're going to go chronologically now through simply the book of Genesis with one little snippet from Hosea quoting Genesis. H equals A or anything in between. Let's go. The angel of the Lord. That is Yahweh. That is Elohim. That is the angel of God. So the angel of the Lord and the angel of God are synonymous. That is a man. That is Yahweh Elohim, the God, the Lord God, the creator of the angels. Not an angel, the creator of the angels, superior to them, gives them orders. They don't even speak when he's there giving a message. He is El Shaddai. He is the Goel. He chooses to perform the act of redemption as a blood relative. So now you see... This is all in Genesis, the angel of the Lord. That is so powerful to me when you put it up, and it's amazing how many people will stumble with this logical progress. But once it's laid out to you, it's crystal clear who this being is. It makes a whole loop. It's all about the Alpha and the Omega. Why would we think anything different? So whenever we read, we're going through the book of Ruth, Why would you think the book of Ruth is about Boaz? Why would you think it's about Ruth? Her name's on it, but it's about the Alpha and the Omega, even though he's not mentioned in the book. You see that? That was Genesis. 
telling us about the angel of the Lord. You look at Ruth, there's a Goel. There's Boaz. You can't understand Ruth without understanding this. Number 12, as a book of redemption, Ruth requires understanding of what a Goel is. The Goel performs the Gael. Mike had a whole thing on that today of understanding Ruth. Can an angel redeem you? No. Can an angel be redeemed? Let's see. The message of salvation, the gospel in 1 Peter 1, oh, the gospel of salvation, that's something angels long to look into but is not offered to them. They do not belong to the bloodline of Adam. There is no redemption for any angel ever offered. Sin once, you're out. No redemption possible because Jesus, his blood redeems, but only those related by blood to Adam. So no, his blood won't redeem your cat or your dog either. So it's all about the first Adam and the last Adam, the first Adam who sinned and the last. Therefore, just as through one man, one physical human being, Adam, sin entered the world, death came as a result of sin. And death spread to all men. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam. Look at the genealogies. And he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. Enoch didn't die. And he died. And he died. And he died. Elijah didn't die. Everybody else died. Death reigns from Adam. Some will say, well, did that really spread to everybody? Yes. Therefore, through the one man's sin, through Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners, even though they hadn't sinned yet. That's called original sin. Through the obedience of one, though, through Christ... Many will be made righteous. You weren't righteous, but he imparts it to you. Two federal heads, Adam loses it, Christ saves it. Death spread to all men from one man. So here's a little detour as we think, though, with our modern world and evolution. What does evolution say about death? It can't come from a man. The millions of years of evolution is not from radiometric dating. They had the millions of years before they discovered radioactivity. It comes from the fossil record. Dead stuff and sedimentary, that's laid down by water, layers, all over the earth. And so here you have millions and billions of years of what? Death. Before Adam, before man ever shows up. So you see, evolution says there's a lot of death before man. The Bible says, no, 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 no. Death came as a result of one man's sin that then spread to everybody, affected the whole creation. So there's a better way, the Bible says, how you'd get all these fossils by sedimentary layers. You notice dinosaurs in graveyards, they didn't live there. They're buried and there's masses of them, sometimes millions. Well, they didn't just die right there. They got washed there in sedimentary layers brought about by water. Here you have the fountains of the great deep 40,000 miles. You can see why the earth has the shape it does because these all blew up on the same day according to scripture. 600th year of Noah's life, second day of the month, or the second month on the 17th day of that month, on the same day, all these fountains of the great deep, all these volcanoes that are under the oceans burst forward. Evolution knows the same things as this, but they said, yeah, it wasn't on one day. It was spread out over millions of years. Do it quick. You have continental sprint, not drift. We're living in the leftover residual of a centimeter a year. That ain't going to build the Himalayas. You need velocity. So let's get back to Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, for since by a man, singular masculine male, came death. Notice it wasn't Eve, even though she sinned first, but Lucifer sinned before her. But Adam was the federal head. Also by a man, singular masculine Jesus, now who manifests, comes the resurrection of the dead. You have Adam dying, Christ made alive. You have the first Adam, and you have the last And the second, you read it all through, he's called both the second and the last. Some evolution guys try to say there's a series where we can redeem ourselves. No, Christ is the second, but also the last. 
Abraham, Noah, there is no other federal head of creation. It is simply Adam and the Alpha. That's it. The truth has got to be internally consistent. So, of course, the Magi, we talked about them. They weren't here at the time of the birth. They were a little under two years later. But this is showing Jesus now taking on human form. Therefore, so Hebrews has about, I've counted a hundred transition segments. If you miss, it starts with Jesus, not an angel in one. A bunch of things like a therefore that connect, that connect, connect, connect. You miss what it's meaning when you don't get the therefore, what it connected to, or the uh, there's other words that are used. Therefore, the, since the children, since humanity, since you and me share flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus Christ, the Alpha, he also partook of the same. He became flesh in order to defeat Satan. And notice this was death, not the resurrection. We'll talk about that a little bit later in two weeks. John 1.14, the Word became flesh. The eternal Word became humanity. Why? He partook of the same There's one blood, literally hyma in the Greek, one blood, that is Adam. All humanity relates to that, and it goes down to the bloodline of Jesus. He had to partake of that blood to Adam. God cannot grow weary. God cannot faint. God does not thirst. God does not bleed. You notice you cannot tempt God. But as he takes on human form, all those things now apply to Jesus as the man. And he stumbles, he bleeds. If it bleeds, we can kill it. Hebrews 2, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation. That is, a satisfactory payment in full. Satisfies the bill. He is an infinite being, became literal man in flesh. That is what allows redemption. For since he himself was tempted, Jesus was tempted, and he suffered, because of that, he's a legitimate high priest who's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. 13, Jesus had to, notice that imperative, he had to take on human flesh in the bloodline of Adam to redeem by propitiation. He had to become man, and you see it starting Clear back in Genesis. Well, they were doing the Levitical laws, killing bulls and goats all the time. Yeah, but that is insufficient. They have to do it year by year. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And you can look at some acts of redemption where you break the neck or you pay for something. But that is not a complete redemption of a go well, a kinsman redeemer that infinitely satisfactory pays propitiation for an eternal penalty of sin. Takes an eternal, infinite being. One last thing with evolution. Who's Adam? So in an out-of-Africa model, you're going to have a bunch of hominids, a bunch of pre-hominids, and they're going to cluster around which guy do you arbitrarily pick now as Adam? Or was it one culture group? Well, there's another group that say it should have been us. There's going to be a bunch of them, and we think about the bloodline issue. You can only redeem those related by blood to Adam. So even if you picked a certain population of hominids, you still have multiple others. Most of the people alive today came from a hominid that was not Adam, if evolution is true. You've got a big problem trying to get your millions of years. Take simple John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Just think about this. God so loved the world. Well, if evolution's true, most of these guys didn't come from whoever we chose Adam. So, yeah, except for the guys that didn't come from whoever we arbitrarily call Adam. You've got a problem. 
that whoever believes, well, gosh, we're not even sure who to send the missionaries to because we don't have bloodlines in everybody. Most people didn't come from Adam. You've got a serious problem simply by trying to put millions of years in earth history. And so as we looked a couple weeks ago, look at the bloodline of Eve. Because whoever that is, that's a separate bloodline from Adam. Except the scripture tells us she was taken out of the side of Adam. So where does her blood come from? Adam, one blood. You see how tight that is? Let's go back as we finish to Genesis 48. He blessed Joseph and said, The God, Elohim of of Abraham and Isaac, the God, the shepherd who's been with me, the angel, the messenger, not a cherub, not a seraph, but the messenger of God who is capable of redeeming. That requires a bloodline. Why would this ever surprise us? Don't be confused when you read about this being of who he is. It's the Alpha and the Omega who does not lie dormant for one second. So in summary, what we did is we looked at the first mention of the angel of the Lord uh, in Genesis 16-7 with Hagar. And then we looked at the life of Jacob. He's always fleeing in fear. And so he's fleeing Esau going up north. And then he's going to flee and come back south. And multiple times, look look how Elohim intervenes and interacts and saves him and protects him. But then he's also a redeemer that is manifesting as a man that wrestled with Jacob. But he's an angel and he's Yahweh and he's Elohim. He's all the way A through H. The same guy. So hopefully that's interesting to give you a little bit of thinking uh, as we read through the amazing word of God. And I went longer than I wanted to, so we better pray again to get out of here. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for Mike's sermon with Ruth and Boaz and the concept of redemption as we see in that beautiful story. And thank you that we can read in your word and see how that story is mammoth and it's huge and it interweaves through so much of the history that you give us, even back in Genesis. Thank you, Lord, that you were willing to perform the act of redemption. You're not required to. You chose to. Just like Jacob reminds you of the promise, we don't need to remind you because we have faith that you always keep your promises. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.